Hello, it's Tuesday 6th of February. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowen and I will be talking about the future of concert and events tourism with our special guest, Martin Haig. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, we're going to take a look at the mechanics of concert tourism, and in particular, the distribution of tickets for music concerts, festivals, and major events, a super hot topic. Will OTAs become central figures in the future of selling concert tickets and experiences, or could other players steal a march? We've timed this show deliberately. Multi-Grammy award-winning pop superstar Taylor Swift kicks off her Asia tour this week in Tokyo, ahead of dates in Melbourne, Sydney, and of course, those six sold-out shows in Singapore. To help us, we're delighted to be joined by industry expert Martin Haig. Martin was previously SVP and head of Ticketmaster Asia, based in Hong Kong, and has worked with many of the largest entertainment companies around the world. He's now sales director of Total Ticketing, a supplier of live event ticketing software to travel agents, attractions, integrated resorts, stadiums, and B2C ticketing companies. Its software is currently deployed in several countries, including Hong Kong, Japan, South Korea, Macau, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, and Thailand. So, Martin, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? And where are you today? Thank you very much for having me. How am I doing? I am. It's a very bad dad joke. In the ticketing industry, you might say tickety-boo, but I am feeling pretty good. Uh, And I live in Bath, which is about 120 miles west of London. And it is a UNESCO World Heritage City, mainly because we've got something called the Roman Baths here, which is one of the UK's largest tourist attractions. Beautiful place, lovely place to be. Um, so Martin, we've got so much to pack in over the next 30 minutes. Let's let's get cracking. Music tourism is a hot emerging trend here in Asia, um, especially this year in 2024. One of the big questions fans in Southeast Asia have been asking over recent months is why couldn't I get a ticket for Taylor Swift or for Coldplay, even though I logged onto the ticket site before they went on sale. Any answers? Yes, I mean, I could write a whole book on this, but uh, the short answer would be that there's lots and lots of data out there that suggests that ticket scalpers or touts or resellers or brokers, depending on what you would call them, hoovered up lots of the tickets all using computer software called bots in the industry. Um, So to give you... An example of that, I think there were 3.5 million Taylor Swift tickets up for sale uh, on her US part of her tour, and there were 3.5 billion attempts to buy those tickets. So that's like almost half of the planet's 8 billion people. Um, You're pretty sure they're not all individuals from all over the world trying to go to Taylor Swift in America. They are all bots, these computer programs that are trying to buy tickets. So for every one person, every individual out there trying to buy a ticket, on that data alone, it suggests there's a thousand other machines trying to buy tickets ahead of you. So it's very unsurprising to me that lots of people who wanted to buy tickets didn't get them. So if you did manage to get a ticket, you were just lucky? 
Yeah, you beat the odds. I mean, there are a thousand machines ahead of you. So, I mean, there's nothing. There's no. Um, there's nothing out there stopping individuals getting tickets. But you were just if you were one of one one thousand and one attempts to try and buy a ticket, you being an individual and a thousand machines trying to do it, you'll have the equal chance of getting a ticket. But yeah, you probably were just lucky. Gosh, no wonder then that there were there were so many complaints about people not being able to get tickets with those kind of odds. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the, the, the ticketing companies do try and do bot detection, but the amount of margins that ticketing the primary ticket seller has versus um, these these touts. I mean, the, the primary ticket seller may make a percent or two, whereas the touts are making 100, 200, 300, 400 percent on the money. So therefore, it's a bit of a nuclear arms race, whatever the primary ticketing company puts in place to stop these bots buying tickets. They just throw money at it and find a way around it. It's a very, very efficient um, market in, in that the, the bots will always be ahead of the, the ticketing companies. Have I just made you all depressed? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad I didn't try and, and get Taylor Swift tickets, actually. Um, so Taylor Swift kicks off her global tour in Japan this week. You had a chat with Gary before you came on the show, and you mentioned to him that a Japanese venue had said that foreign fans would account for around 40% of ticket sales for her last, for her four Tokyo dates. Is that a high figure? Is that a low figure? Where does that stand? So... Um... Is 40% a high number or a low number? I don't know. But what I do know is that Taylor Swift is only going to uh, Japan and Singapore. So that means her fans, of which there are millions, uh, who are based in other countries outside of Japan and Singapore, uh, will definitely fly in uh, to buy to go and see her in Japan and Singapore. Also, it may be possible that the, the, the prices on the secondary market might be cheaper in Japan and Singapore versus places like um, Europe or um, America and so it could be possible that people in far-flung continents just not Asia would come to Japan or Singapore to watch her in concert and there also will be quite a few people who maybe fancy going to Japan or Singapore on a holiday and they are Taylor Swift fans they thought they might as well combine both of those two things and have a holiday so um, it's very very likely that there will be a huge amount of uh, non Japanese and non-Singaporeans at those uh, concerts. Um, could it be as high as 40%? Um, maybe. One thing that is very surprising, uh, could be very surprising about that is that if you try and buy a ticket, especially in Japan, through Japanese ticketing systems, it's extremely difficult. So um, I would imagine there'd be lots of foreign fans going through either friends in Japan to buy tickets for them or going through these specialist ticket buying sites there are in Japan because it's so difficult to buy tickets through Japanese ticketing companies. They're probably having a field day of making lots of money, these brokers in Japan. Which leads us nicely into our next question, Martin, moving away from Taylornomics. Until now, really, cross-border music tourism in Asia has been fairly low level, but it looks very much likely to increase probably at a quite a high rate over the coming years. Do you think that that means that in countries like China, Japan and South Korea, which have pretty strong established pop concert cultures that getting a ticket could become easier? Sadly, I doubt it unless something massive changes like perhaps OTAs becoming overseas sales channels for these uh, these these ticketing companies that are in Japan and China and, and, and Korea. 
the problem is that these leading ticketing companies, uh, the main ones would be some like China. In China, would be Damai. In Japan, there's a bit of a monopoly out there between Pia, Lawson, and uh, E Plus. And in uh, South Korea, it's Interpark and 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 uh, Yes Twenty Four. They don't really care really about foreigners. Their markets are so large; they only really cater to uh, domestic ticket buyers. I have spoken to them often, and quite often they've said to me it's a priority. They they say uh, to sell tickets overseas, but in the many many years I've been speaking to them, they haven't really made any progress with that. Um, so I'm not too sure if it's true. And also they have lots of issues stopping that, like lots of poor technical infrastructure like APIs, which is like a digital handshake that computers can talk to each other through. Uh, They've got business models, especially in Japan, that push buyers into physical convenience stores to pay for or pick up the tickets. Um, There's lots of issues in Korea. I mean, I've got Korean friends living outside of Korea that find it almost impossible to buy tickets inside Korea because you need a local verified address, a local verified uh, phone number, a local verified uh, credit card, for instance. So they, my Korean friends, quite often get their mums or dads to buy tickets for them. Uh, And in places like China, They've got very short sales cycles quite often for these events. And if you couple that with long overseas sales cutoff deadlines, like in China, um, it means that basically the window of opportunity for you to buy a ticket is very narrow. Let me just go into that a little bit more. Um, What I mean there is that quite a lot of um, promoters don't have long sales cycles, means they don't put their tickets on for sale a long time before the event. But in China, for instance, Damai actually will only sell you tickets overseas in, I think, Macau and uh, and Hong Kong, not America or whatever. But, but in Hong Kong and, and Macau, they say that we're going to cut off the time before the event for, for ticket sales to, let's say, three months because they want to give it a long enough time for you to be able for them to be able to send physically the ticket to you not digital tickets and they cut that off very very quickly they might only uh, so therefore the window of opportunity for you to buy a ticket is extremely narrow so most people don't bother i never really realized how complicated buying a, a ticket could be i mean do you think i mean obviously countries like singapore now i think that they are really angling to use music tourism as a way to boost their tourism revenue. And I just wonder if some of these other countries see what Singapore is doing, for example, and how they're using that to their advantage, whether that would be the the motivator to to tip them over the edge and, and to start to improve those processes. But like you said, you know, it seems like they've they've got a large enough domestic market, which obviously Singapore doesn't. I think Singapore's wonderful. The Singapore Tourist Board, if you look on their website, I mean it's uh it's wonderful these lists of amazing events that they they you know, that are brought to Singapore. Clearly, something's you know working there. Other countries, obviously, people like Hong Kong, always in competition with Singapore, try and emulate the same sort of thing. I would have thought that I mean, China's a command economy. You would think that uh, if Xi Jinping said something like, "We would like to make it easier for people to buy tickets overseas," it'll happen pretty much overnight, I would have thought. Uh, but I, I, you don't get the same, I don't get the same feeling that the Japanese government or the Korean government are um, wanting to uh, encourage that. I mean, the the Japanese have got this new uh, thing, I think it's called My, My Ticket. There's something, 
new there that they are trying to push people into using a local ID for everything. And one of the areas they would like the Japanese to use their ID for in doing everything would be buying tickets. But if that's the only way you can buy a ticket, if you've got a Japanese ID, then that completely destroys the overseas travel uh, you know, um, ticket buyer coming into Japan if they haven't got one. So um, there are lots of different nuances going on but uh yeah so i guess the the way that the the travel industry will be looking at this going forward is that this new wave of music tourism which is you know sort of underway um the otas in particular are starting to look at how they can package up things like uh, concert tickets uh with flights hotels and destination experiences we saw that last year i think the chinese ota tong chung and kluk i think also um, did something like that for Jay Cho's concert in Bangkok and in other countries as well. Um, is that where we're going to see this going? It's not just going to be about ticketing. It's going to be about packaging up the whole travel experience. Yeah, I mean, if you can imagine, if someone is wealthy enough to buy a $200 US ticket and take a flight and uh, buy a hotel, things, these people have got a lot of, uh, of, of money. So therefore, um, would it be helpful for OTAs to get uh, primary concert tickets and package them up with things? Absolutely. Um, we get involved with lots of ticketing tenders. Um, that's where companies go out there looking for new software and things. And many of those tenders include the ability to package tickets up with other offerings like hospitality or car parking or merchandise or F&B vouchers. It must be said, though, that quite often if, if this promoter is trying to package these things up, he must be or they must be a registered travel agent in order to package up planes and trains and automobiles and ferries and things like that as well. So um, a lot of promoters don't want to be registered travel agents, but that does open up um, that role for OTAs to do that because clearly they are travel agents and so they can package all those things together. That is very, very um, exciting, I think. I mean, we have one client who packages up helicopters and it's a Macau casino. You imagine they would like to be able to get high rollers coming in uh, to their casino and so they package entertainment F&B, hotel, rewards, uh, things with a chopper into, uh, into Macau. Wow, how the other half live, hey? <laughs> um, obviously, there's this big upside for OTAs, um, this new whole business opportunity. But what could be some of the big challenges that OTAs are going to face as they try to get into this space? I think there's a huge opportunity here and some challenges. So the the, the opportunity is great. Um, Asia has a large and growing young affluent um, uh, audiences, lots of them. It's, it's perfect, basically. Um, but the biggest problem, I would say, would be gaining access to primary tickets at a scale. And when I say at scale, I mean, most ticketing companies have done away with spreadsheets now and uh, allocating uh, fixed amounts of uh, revenue, uh, fixed amount of tickets to different sales channels. It's now mostly done by computers. However, having said that, the largest markets in Asia are dominated by people like we've mentioned before already: Damai, Interpark, Yes Twenty Four, Peer, Lawson, E Plus, and most of those ticketing companies have got pretty poor. Uh, I mean, they're great in many ways, but they've got pretty poor 
API infrastructure, and those APIs would allow OTAs to um, to integrate uh, with that with the inventory uh, and be able to allow those OTAs uh, to make that inventory disco- discoverable and uh, purchasable. And there are real issues around uh, the lack of technology. Uh, for sure, amongst some of the larger inventory holders in um, Asia, we had also even it's not even that cut and dry. I mean, one of the largest OTAs um, in Asia is Trip.com. I'm sure everyone's heard of that. We have integrated with uh, Trip.com, uh, our ticketing system. It's it's our APIs are very advanced, and we've had two clients that uh, would like to sell uh, inventory and package it uh, for OT for Trip.com, so they can sell packages. Um, but in, in one instance, um, the, our client was extremely large and um, Trip.com integrated with our API. Um, and then the next week we had another uh, inventory holder saying they wanted to sell tickets through, uh, through, um, through Trip.com. And Interpark said, uh, yeah, we don't want to use the API we've got set up with you. We want you to set up a different API, but we want you to integrate with ours. And we thought that was a little bit... Um, odd. Uh, and that means that even within the OTAs, they have different ways of doing business, which uh, makes things rather inefficient, I would say. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And I guess, you know, there are going to be a lot of supply side and technology challenges. But on the other side, if the demand is going to be there from travelers, from consumers, uh, OTAs want to take this on board. So on that basis, do you think that, you know, these challenges can be overcome and that, for example, events ticketing and events travel packages could become like a new category on OTA websites alongside hotels, flights, car rental and, and cruise tickets? Uh, yes, 100%. I mean, uh, the technology usually gets better over time. I mean, I would say some of these, we've mentioned the names quite a few times already, that they don't change very quickly uh, at all so it may take some time but the asia isn't just china uh, japan and korea uh, asia has great um, other ticking opportunities uh, in Singapore. We've already mentioned it, Hong Kong, Malaysia. Uh, there's lots of other countries that have got ticketing companies that are um, more um, API friendly, let's say, and more uh, inbound and outbound uh, friendly. Um, so I would say that events, festivals, things to do uh, will become a very lucrative new category for OTAs. They've just got to find partners like ours um, uh, that have that ability to give them uh, access to uh, tickets. I mean, in, you know, even in fact, AirAsia, just last week, they announced a new partnership with MoveTix um, to distribute tickets, they said, for theatres, sports, live music and attractions across 67 cities and 20 countries. Um, so how do you see a deal like that um, might be able to benefit somebody like AirAsia? AirAsia is pretty interesting. Tony Fernandez, uh, Tony Fernandez is an interesting person. He'll try anything, <laughs> which is good. And I like this. Um, MoveTick is run by uh, AirAsia's ex-head of ancillary revenue. Uh, so it's a definite connected company. And what I probably would imagine is that Tony Fernandez just thought, well, we've got a great brand. How can I sweat this asset? What have we got? And they've got lots of millions of people on their app. 
and they were thinking, well, why don't we try and sell uh, more and sell your revenue? I mean, they, the uh, AirAsia is already trying to sell you. Uh, once you buy a, a ticket, then they're trying to sell you a different, you know, a seat with extra legroom, or you could take a big bag into the cabin, or a bigger bag into the hold, or get you insurance or whatever. So I think the, the AirAsia is just looking at uh, ticketing as an extra ancillary revenue uh, model. So uh, they've got big audiences that are in their app. They think they can probably send them push notifications to say, why don't you buy a ticket? The, the main problem I think they'll probably have is we'll move tickets, basically be able to get lots of primary um, attractions and primary tickets, yeah, probably. The big thing I'd probably be asking is what's their conversion going to be like? Because you can only send so many people some notifications about trying to buy things and which of their ancillary revenues has the largest amount of uh, of margin? You know, is it trying to sell a ticket for an event or is it trying to sell that extra big bag in the cabin or bag in the hold or the bigger seat or something? It'd be interesting um, how they work out which notifications they send to people because ticketing margins on tickets... Attractions are a lot higher margins, but uh, but um, but concerts like Taylor Swift, the margin things will be pretty small, and that that's the sort of thing that most people want to get access to. Moving um, into the arena of sports event t- tourism, Martin, hot topic at the moment. Uh, Chinese OTA Fliggy has just announced a new partnership to sell experiences for the Paris Olympics this year. But I'm thinking more about sports tourism events in Asia. I mean, do the same issues apply for ticket sales and distribution for sports events as they do for music concerts? It's almost the same, but the biggest difference about that would be that normally sports, uh, normally that's a, the the hospitality groups that package big VIP hospitality things um, with tickets and their flights, hotels and things. Slightly different for music concerts because music concerts don't have those hospitality spaces, really. If you go to the Grand Prix, there'd be huge amounts of areas for hospitality or for Wimbledon or for or for lots of big sporting events. But music concerts, music concerts generally move around quite a lot. There hasn't as much infrastructure. They usually get placed in uh, multiple discipline sort of venues and things. So I do think that um, it's very similar, but I can't imagine the same degree of hospitality being tied into music concerts. I mean, for many years... Um, I had tried to sell VIP packages for meet and greet with, let's say, Adele. Actually, it's not. I haven't actually done it for Adele, but let's just use Adele as a as an example. The problem is, is that Adele would probably want so much of a percentage of that that uh, the promoters basically just get bored with trying to sort those things out because it's so problematic and they don't make much money from it. And also, quite often, uh, the artists could say, look, I just don't want to meet someone today. I've had a bad day or I'm ill or I don't fancy it. And they're making so much money that those meet and greets are a bit of a pain, to be honest. So some of that hospitality for music is less relevant, I would say, than for sports events. That's really interesting. Going back to the OTAs then, um, and, and even GDSs, why haven't they built out their own ticketing capabilities? Oh, I love that question. Uh, I think they they should. Um, they probably don't 
ticketing is extremely complex, so I wouldn't encourage them to do it on their own. I'd probably encourage them to come to someone like me, maybe, total ticketing, maybe. Uh, But I think that it's so small. Even though I think it's a huge opportunity, I think that their flights, car hire, insurance, uh, hotels is such a larger margin business and so massive for them that... Maybe it's just too small. I mean, I have approached a couple of the GDSs saying, I really think this is a good idea. It'll be really good for discovery, really good for sales. These are you know rich people, affluent people buying high ticket items. You can sell other things too. But I just, either I've been speaking to the wrong people, which is completely possible, or maybe they think it's just too much effort for too little return, which is the feedback I've had. It's very um, frustrating for me very frustrating, but I believe that would be something that the GDSs could and probably should explore. It's been fascinating talking um, about this, Martin, listening to both the challenges and the opportunities, because obviously the demand is there. The supply of tickets is going to increase as more stars want to play more shows in the region. But from what you're saying, the event ticketing model is quite outdated, hasn't really changed for a long period of time. Why is that? And, you know, is it ripe now for some kind of change in the whole model? Well, some big questions in there. Um, yes, the B2C ticketing business model has not changed for years. B2C um, would be where uh, a ticketing company like Ticketmaster um, or CTS Eventim or Access or something people like that, they charge ticket sellers um, the commissions to sell their tickets. And then they charge ticket buyers fees to buy those tickets. Um, one day, I think someone's going to come in and completely disrupt that model and maybe do ticketing um, for free. And they will be able to support that with a different um, you know, business model. It might be, for instance, I mean, I'm not endorsing this, but a very easy way to, to show how a different business model could disrupt things would be gambling, for instance. The lifetime value of a, of a gambler is huge. And so what could bet 365 on the world's largest gambling companies could they say you know what we'll do ticketing for free we won't charge the ticket sellers anything we won't charge the ticket buyers anything but everyone have to go through the bet 365 website for instance i mean bet 365 would never do that because they don't want to get in trouble regulators and things but you could see how they could easily support uh, doing ticketing for free uh, if it meant that millions more people hit their websites because they were trying to buy Taylor Swift tickets or whatever. It's very easy um, now to uh, disrupt the model because um, you could license B2B ticketing software from us, for instance, or from other people. You can build audiences. I hate to say it easily because if you're a CMO, that'd be a bit embarrassing. Not embarrassing, but it'd be difficult for me to say um, it's easy to get millions of followers. It's easy to get millions of followers if you have the right content that people want because you have tools like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and X now uh, that uh, allows you to garner lots of large audiences, potentially to sell tickets to. You can gain access to payment gateways like Stripe. I mean, you could get Stripe in five minutes if you went online now, and that would give you access to be able to accept payments online. Um, So therefore, all these tools do exist uh, for people to bring uh, ticketing in-house, meaning that Promoters could do it themselves, uh, or for instance, GDSs could do it themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the market is 
ripe. One of the reasons why um, things don't change, though, is that there are some monopolies out there. Um, and um, you know, I don't want to name people who I think are monopoly uh, people, but there's the DOJ are investigating people at the moment. In Japan, there are reasons why it's very difficult for you to get access to primary tickets um, in Korea as well. Uh, in Singapore, there aren't those monopolies. Uh, in Malaysia, there, I, I, I believe there aren't those monopolies uh, either. So there are some very free markets and there are some less free markets. But definitely the industry is open for disruption for sure, like like most. So you mentioned just then they could bring it in-house. I mean, are we going to see, you know, there are a lot of big super apps here in Asia and we, we always say that there's quite a big difference to to Europe or the US, you know, we've got WeChat, Line, TikTok, perhaps even K-pop or J-pop management agencies themselves. Could they either purchase a global ticketing company or maybe just create their own then using some of these tools you were talking about? I don't think you can um, purchase a global ticketing company. I actually did M&A for Ticketmaster. So it's not that easy. The ones you probably want to buy aren't for sale and the ones that you don't want to buy maybe are for sale. But there's no such thing as a, a global ticketing company. I mean, may, people might say that Ticketmaster's a global ticketing company. I used to work for them. They are certainly the largest in the world by a country mile, uh, over 50% larger than their, their competitor CTS Eventim in Europe. But... They are actually a constellation of around about 17 different ticketing software. They have things in Europe. They have things uh, in the US, two or three different systems in the US, lots in Europe, uh, lots in the Middle East, lots in Asia. Um, So it's not one big ticketing company. It's one big brand for sure. So buying a global ticketing company is just not possible. Um, The next biggest one, as I mentioned, is CTS Eventim. They're mainly active in Europe only. They are expanding a bit into uh, the Americas and a bit into Asia. Um, Access in America, um, American company, it's the same. It's got the same footprint, really, um, as CTS Eventim, Europe, America, and uh, a little bit in Asia now. So can they buy someone? No. That means there's a great opportunity to create that. Absolutely. Um, Could you create a global ticketing company now? Yes, I think it's uh, definitely possible with the uh, technology that's out there. But again, getting access to uh, inventory is hard. But if you've got that inventory, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, these J-pop management or K-pop um, uh, uh, management groups should absolutely have their own ticketing companies. There's reasons why Live Nation have Ticketmaster, AEG has uh, as access uh, and CTS Eventim has Eventim Live. The integrating ticketing with your inventory is very, very uh, lucrative. So yes, um, they should definitely do it. You've mentioned things like um, WeChat and Line and TikTok. Um, Line actually already tried to do it. Line is uh, a Korean company, but actually had a Japanese ticketing company called Line Tickets for a while, which is embedded inside their Line messaging app in Japan. And it failed, sadly. I was very shocked it failed because when I looked at it, it looked like a very, very good system. Um, But um, I think it failed because they were used to um, tech startup hockey stick growth. And I think there's some very stretching KPIs that uh, weren't met. And I think that they were reading a different script when they thought how much, how how the adoption would be. Um, and ticketing is very, very complex. So I think when they saw 
that the adoption hadn't been as huge as they thought it was. They ran out of funding, which I believe, which was a little bit um, disappointing because I think what they were offering was very, very, very strong, uh, to say the least. I may or may not have approached people like Spotify or TikTok and people like that um, to and these K-pop and J-pop management agencies uh, to have their own ticketing um, uh, systems. Those conversations are ongoing. I think uh, it will happen. It's just a matter of uh, time, I would say. And so there's a good question about the super apps because obviously they're the they're, uh, front and center of what's happening, not just in travel and tourism here, but, you know, in that whole lifestyle economy. But what about the sort of payment services providers, Martin? I'm thinking of Visa, MasterCard, Ant Finance, which is behind Alipay, because in some ways they're kind of halfway there, aren't they? They are the facilitators of payments. Would, would it behove them to, to get further involved in ticketing? 100%. Yes. Why not? I mean... The best example of that would be if someone said, right, you stand a better chance of getting a Taylor Swift ticket if you join the credit card pre-sale, which is a very common thing that happens, means that let's say Taylor Swift said, you stand a much better chance of buying a ticket if you have a Visa card. So uh, apply for a Visa, get a Visa, and then you go into the Visa uh, pre-sale for my tickets. Do you know what would happen? You get a lot of people applying for a, a Visa card, the same with a MasterCard or Alipay or WeChat Pay or something. So um, that business model has been going on for years and years and years. For me, it's only a natural progression for someone like Visa, MasterCard, Alipay, WeChat Pay um, to uh, to do ticketing. They have huge audiences. They've obviously got the payment gateways. They've got bank accounts all over the world, legal entities all over the world, which is very important for ticketing. Uh, the lifetime value of a card holder is very, very high. I mean, basically, have a look at anyone who sponsors the World Cup, FIFA, the Olympics, the IOC, Formula One, FIA, English Premier League. Have a look at all those hoardings. These people have clearly got money. And any of those people, I think it could be worthwhile them looking at having their own ticketing system, for sure. Fascinating. Um, so thank you so much, Martin. I think you've, you've brought a fresh angle. I mean, I'm sure now Taylor's coming to uh, Asia. There's going to be a, a whole bunch of articles around Taylornomics, but it's been interesting to get to grips with how the ticketing process actually works kind of behind the scenes, which is the, the hidden part, really. Thank you very much indeed. I love being here. So we hope you all enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on what we discussed with Martin or what we missed out. You can message us on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com, or you can search for the show on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today. We'll be back soon to talk more travel and tourism with you in Southeast Asia. Uh-huh.